Erin Delmore, and as we work, we're heading back to the office and finding that elusive second chance to make a first impression. I was so nervous about meeting them that I was like, I guess I need to completely transform myself. So I went out and I got like highlights in my hair. I got my nails done. I bought a bunch of new clothes for a day and a half long meeting. It was very extra because I was so worried about this like second first impression. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. Coming up on the show, office occupancy in an average of 10 major U.S. cities is hovering close to 50%, the highest since March 2020. That means a lot of people are meeting coworkers face-to-face for the first time after years on Zoom. So is this an opportunity to make a new impression? Maybe change what others think about you? Stay with us. This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Hi, I'm Erin. Have we met? Oh, right. It's been a few weeks since I started hosting this podcast. Well, I hope I made a good first impression, because you never get a second chance at one, right? Decades of research show the way we make somebody feel when we meet them for the first time is powerful, and first impressions in the workplace can have a real impact on future career success. A positive first impression can leave people primed to see you that way going forward. But here's the thing about first impressions. We hardly have a second to make one. Literally. Some research shows that we form a first impression in just seven seconds. Even as little as a tenth of a second. So how the heck are we supposed to deal with that? That's what makes this moment so different from the past. Return to office mandates are bringing many colleagues together IRL for the first time. And if you only know your coworkers from little boxes on a Zoom screen, seeing them in person for the first time can be very different. It can also give you a chance to reset your relationship, especially if you were hired during the pandemic and have never interacted with them in person. My name is Megan Shook. I am a project manager for pharmaceutical sales, and I live in New Jersey. I was the first fully remote person that they hired on my team, so it was... A little scary. I could tell coming in that they had great rapport and had a bunch of inside jokes and knew each other really well. I was really anxious about the impression I was making virtually. Um, I tried really hard to get my like background set up so that way I looked professional and like I was interesting. You know, I have books in the background, so I look like a I am a person who reads, but I want to look like I'm, you know, a smart person who reads and I've got my plants so they know I can keep something alive and like, you know, some art so it looks like I'm artistic and you know, like what I'm wearing doesn't matter so much when we're virtual, but what you can see behind me definitely matters. I felt like I got to know them right away because they weren't trying to pass themselves off as anything more than exactly who they are. I was so nervous about meeting my colleagues for the first time. We met, it was the first week of October, and I was just scared that they were going to meet me and be like, oh, 
you're not who we thought you were and just decide they didn't like me. I was so nervous about meeting them that I was like, I guess I need to completely transform myself. So I went out and I got like highlights in my hair. I got my nails done. I bought a bunch of new clothes for a day and a half long meeting. It was very extra um, because I was so worried about this like second first impression, you know, they had an idea about me that had been building for over a year and I wanted to live up to whatever that idea might be. So I just wanted to present the absolute best version of myself. I was terribly anxious the whole drive. I remember waiting for the elevator to go up to the office. I was just like, my stomach was full of butterflies. I was so nervous. And we walked into the office and I saw my boss sitting at a meeting table and I went over to her and, you know, she saw me and we just gave each other the biggest hug. And she looked at me and said, oh, I thought you were taller. And I said, I thought you were shorter. And we had a big laugh about it. And from that moment on, it was like we had known each other forever. But I was worried I wouldn't like them as much in person. It was surreal. I kept saying to them that it felt like meeting characters from a TV show that you watch all the time in person. It was kind of like being dropped into the set of The Office or something because I was like, I know all these people, I know all these jokes that you're making, but I can like touch you and it's very weird. <laughs> when I'm in a meeting with them, I feel a much closer connection to them and I feel like I have a greater sense of who they are as a person and so I can understand more of either where they're coming from or what they're trying to say. And I just love them. They're such a great group of people. And I think that meeting them in person, their passion and knowledge was even more evident than it is online. Parts of Megan's story might feel familiar to any of us who've met colleagues face-to-face for the first time in the past few months. She was able to make a second impression, and her colleagues were too. But is that really possible for the rest of us? Can our brains handle it? Who better to ask than a professor of neuroscience who studies this very question? That's next. ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. If you're looking to make a second first impression, it helps to understand how you make first impressions first. Daniela Schiller is a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai here in New York. And in her lab, she researches the neural mechanisms underlying emotional control and flexibility. In layman's terms, she can tell us what our brains are doing when we meet someone and give us some advice for putting our best foot forward. So, Daniela, how much does returning to the office present an opportunity for people to reset their relationships? I think it presents um, a great opportunity for that. You can pretty much start from scratch. This is where the clock uh, starts uh, ticking from zero and you can form new relationships or base the relationship on new grounds now that you have more information that is available once you meet someone in person. So... Would you say that there's such a thing as a second first impression? Yeah, actually, uh, maybe it's even better than a first impression because the brain really works by detecting surprise. When there's something surprising that you weren't expecting, 
then a lot of neural mechanisms become focused on acquiring new information and paying attention to that source of surprise to figure it out. It's all about reducing uncertainty. So if someone forms a, a first impression and then they get some information that uh, violates their expectations, sometimes exceeds their expectation, then starts a new process of updating. Sometimes it's even better remembered. And there's a lot of attention addressed to that. So how is that different from how our brains work when we're meeting somebody for the first time on Zoom? On Zoom, uh, you have a lot of barriers. There's a lot of information missing that you would otherwise have in a personal meeting. And then you have to just supplement it with uh, speculations. For example, you don't know where the person is. You don't know what time is it. You also don't know how they look. Uh, you usually don't have access to any of their gestures, even something like smell. So all of that you have to complete while you're doing the Zoom conversation. It's uh, very burdening. You have a very high load on your cognition. So I think that's part of why it's so tiring to have interactions over Zoom. In person, I would say more of the kind of emotional, let's say survival needs or processing of information comes up because there's the issue of proximity, there's the issue of threat. We're kind of like animals in that sense, right? Because there's another person, then you, you notice your surrounding, you notice the, the proximity of that person, the behavior of that person, you're kind of more alert for the presence of the other person. But at the same time, we have a whole new set of information about a person when we see them on Zoom, right? I can look in the screen and see what's in your background. I can see what books are on your bookshelf or whether you have a plant or an animal in the background. What does that do for the way that we form an impression of someone? It's exactly how we choose to get dressed uh, and put makeup and whatever we put on us and the way we choose to present ourselves. Instead of just showing in person, now the way you present yourself is with your background. There's a lot of personality there, right? You can choose a background, you can choose to hide it, or you can just show a whole bunch of stuff that you curated and kind of decided what to present. It's about how you want to present yourself. Okay, so I'm hearing you talk about what we choose to wear, how we get dressed, whether we're putting on makeup, and then if we're in a virtual world, whether we're using a backdrop or having something important in the background. But tell me overall, how much control do we have when we're making a first impression? Well, we have some control, but I think not as much as we think we do. Uh, of course, you can control how you look and how you behave, your approach to things, how you approach to other people. But people also come with their own stereotypes, their own biases, their own expectations. They come sort of with a, like a template of what they expect you to be. And then they look at you and see how well it fits what they expected. So on a personal note, Daniela, have there been any colleagues you've just met in person for the first time? Yes, absolutely. I like to call it uh, the movie star effect, where, you know, you have no idea what is the, really the height of a, of a movie star because you always see them on screen. So it, it also happens with people. It's like, whoa, you're so tall, you know. Uh, so that has, been, uh, that has been funny. And I'm thinking about some interactions that I've had. Is there any way that I can know what kind of a first impression I made? Can I know what the other person thought of me? I wish, you know, <laughs> this is one of the most uh, curious things that, that you can have. And it's very hard to know. You really need a best friend to be there. And you need to have an agreement that you will always tell the absolute truth to each other. And that's pretty much the only way. 
um, because it's hard to know. Usually people don't tell you, even if you ask them, they're kind of polite about it. So I guess the best indication is uh, really the consequences of the meeting. Let's say the person invites you again, something comes out of it. So you can say it's like, okay, probably it was okay. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your impression of me? Who? Uh, <laughs> how, how, what, what degree of detail would you like there? <laughs> I want brutally honest. I can take it. Go for it. Um, well, my first impression is that you're very professional. I would say you're professional. You like your job. You treat it seriously. You're curious. You're kind. Yeah, that's all the, the stuff I get out of it. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. What could I do better, though? What could I work on? I think you're doing pretty well. I mean, really, my impression was <laughs> that, that uh, you did that a lot. Is that true? Have you been doing this for a long time? Yeah. That's exactly was my impression. I think in a nutshell, it's like, oh, there's a person who knows what she's doing. Well, I also wonder about when you made your first impression of me, because this is the first opportunity you and I have to see each other. I'm looking at you on Zoom, and you're looking at me. But we spoke on the phone earlier, and actually, I sent you an email even earlier where, you know, I was trying to be polite. I was making a request of you. I might have used too many exclamation points. So when did you form your first impression of me? Uh, I think for the very first moment, it's just that uh, you keep updating it. You can think about it like a process of just gathering information. Uh, at one point, it can converge onto something that you can kind of explicitly say. For example, I could say it only when you asked me. Before that, I guess it was just fragments of information that accumulated. So how important is a first impression? Very important, um, but not the end of the world also. Uh, so you can think about it. This is the first point where you continue from. So if you start from a low point, then you have a long way to go. If you start from a high point, uh, you actually probably can only disappoint. You know, each one of these points come with its own price. But the thing really is that it's a process. It's about collecting information. And it's also about an interaction. It's about two people. There's the giver and the perceiver. So you can give information, but there's the other side that comes with their own, um, you know, biases and stereotypes and the way they process information and what they're looking for. So altogether, it's a convoluted uh, process. So first impression is the starting point, but um, you can, the, I guess it's by definition something that you update. As people head back to the office and they want to make a good impression, what advice do you have for them? You know, it's, a, it's such a difficult question. It's almost a question about how do you want to live your life? Because uh, on the one hand, you do want to have some control and you can work toward making an uh, impression that you wish to make. For example, you can be aware and choose what you wear, how you talk, how you pose yourself. But on the other hand, there's so much you can do uh, if it's artificial. So if you don't believe that, if you don't feel comfortable with yourself, um, it's probably going to have limited impact. I think what people notice is uh, what we feel. So if you feel insecure, if you feel stressed, this is what people will notice, even that you pretend you're not feeling that. The more you believe in what you are and what you project, that will have the greatest impact. Because the moment there's a mismatch, it will probably be apparent or at least um, draw some attention to that mismatch. 
So if you're somebody who's nervous about meeting their colleagues in person, or if you're somebody who doesn't feel like they can drum up confidence in the moment, what could you do to just make the interactions go a little bit better? Kind of want to ease yourself into the situation. Be forgiving, you know, because stress is fun. You know, you just go through that. And um, it's a dynamic process. There's a lot of opportunity to chill, to move forward, to interact in a pleasant way. It's like jumping into cold water and then they warm as you go. And, you know, as long as you do movement, you know, it's just to keep moving. And I think the best thing to do is really to learn to live um, in peace with yourself, like accept who you are, and uh, then people will accept you. Uh, it's like you, you're the, the first person you interacted before you interact with other people, so you can work on that relationship as well. Some sage advice there from Daniela. And what did I learn? We don't have as much control as we think we do over what others think about us but the element of surprise is on our side. And we can update a first impression with new information. Oh, and be yourself. If you're comfortable with who you are, others will be too. And once you're done with that first in-person meeting, the work doesn't stop. Some managers are working overtime to get people to want to come back to the office and rebuild the culture. And we have some tips for that next. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. And finally today, our pro tip. More people are returning to the office, happily or not. So what should corporate leaders be doing to encourage them to come back? Alexandra Levitt is an author, speaker, and contributor to the Wall Street Journal's Workplace Report. So when it comes to return to office mandates, is this more about leaders offering carrots than sticks? Employers are not offering carrots here. Employers are not doing this for employees, (laughs) essentially. I think that this is the entrenched uh, baby boomer and older Gen X leadership saying, I've got 10 years left in my career. This is the way that I have always managed. I want to continue going back to the way things have always been. We have a lease on this building till X amount of time, and I'm going to put my foot down. And it kind of hasn't mattered what employees have wanted. And I think they're sort of seeing it's not really working out the way they planned, and employees are pushing back, and that's where we're getting the resistance. So how do leaders create an environment that workers will want to come back to? Being mindful of the fact that you have to care for your employees holistically is very important. As employers, we have to be responsible stewards of our employees' well-being on a a variety of cylinders. And that means providing behavioral health resources. That means just checking in and looking out for our people. That means um, providing appropriate benefits. And uh, this is something that um, I don't think 
the majority of employers were concerned with on an everyday basis in the past. If you showed up and you did your job, then that was really all we really cared about. How can managers lead by example? Actually physically show up, be in the coffee area, be in the area where um, you can be seen having in-person meetings and recognizing that it might be easier for you to physically show up than it might be for some of your employees. But at the very least, make an effort to do so yourself. How can companies incentivize in-person attendance? Make sure that if you are going to mandate that people stay um, in the office, that you have their team there to support and to provide the camaraderie that people would go to the office to get. And this sounds like it's something really simple, but I have heard anecdotally so many stories of people being forced to go into the office and they sit in an office space by themselves. And it's like if you are forcing someone to have a a two-hour-a-day commute and they're just in an office space all alone, what is the value there? So if you're a leader, you really have to deliver on that promised value, that if you're telling people that they're going to have camaraderie, they're going to have rapport building, they're going to have the opportunity to collaborate, then you really have to to provide that. Can incentivizing some employees to come back to the office but not incentivizing others in the same way have negative side effects among the workforce? One theme that comes up over and over again is be consistent and have your policies in writing and make sure that you're very, very clear with new employees coming on. Like This is what we are going to do and we're going to hold consistently to it. As a leader, you really do need to set down an expectation and, and really be consistent with that. Alexander Levitt from The Workplace Report. You can subscribe at WSJ.com. Consistency may be key, But how do you stay consistent when you have no control over the policies being set by the C-suite? That's where a lot of middle managers are finding themselves right now. And that disconnect is fueling a whole lot of anxiety. This quarter, we're finding more than ever, middle managers are stressed. They are more at risk of burnout than anybody else in the organization. They have higher burnout scores than the people that they are managing. They have higher burnout scores than senior executives. They have higher burnout scores, not surprisingly, than executive executives. That's Brian Elliott, a senior vice president at Slack and the executive leader of the Workplace Research Consortium, Future Forum. Next time on the show, we're taking a look at the toll workplace changes like hybrid work and return to office policies have taken on middle managers, and he's sharing details of a brand new study. Like the show? Tell your friends to subscribe and give us a five-star review on your favorite platform. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Jonathan Sanders is a crafty jack-o'-lantern and our booking producer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. I'm Erin Delmore. See you next time. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.